You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. This message is from our series on Romans, presented by Scott Schuler. I was doing a wedding one time, and uh, uh, one of the things that sometimes as a Christian that I always talk about is I talk about my previous life. I talk about my life when I was not a Christian, before I was born again, before I became a new creature, and that was a whole different life to me. And I mentioned that at this wedding, and a lady on her way out said, I am so glad to hear that Christians believe in reincarnation, and she was gone. And I never, I never had the opportunity to say, no! <laughs> so, I don't, I don't have any idea how many people she has told over the, you gotta start going to that Methodist church over there because they teach reincarnation, you're gonna love it. So, and there have been a number of episodes like that, and you just realize, I, I was sure, that this was going to connect. I was sure that this was going to be something that everybody would know what I was talking about. And one of the things that comes up here in this particular, um, uh, these verses in Romans, is a comparison and a discussion of the strong and the weak. And when we start reading about this, we all I find that uh, we all have our own interpretation of who the strong and the weak are, <clears throat> and moreover, which one of those groups we believe we belong to, and more moreover, which group we think other people belong to. Uh, an opportunity to judge seems almost always to come up any time that a group of people gets together and uh, uh, the opportunity to judge just rears its ugly head, and we do it without even really meaning to. It's one of the things about human nature that has to be conquered, overcome, and one of these strongholds that has to be thrown down. Just a real quick recap about the book of Romans. It's important to understand this, is that um, Paul wrote this to people whom he had not met, including us, and it is the true gospel. Um, imagine what happens when a group arises a thousand miles from where a this faith begins, and what kind of beliefs can creep in with that kind of separation? If any, you know, this is this is such an old illustration. We've used it all the time. But if you've played the game gossip. Some people call the game telephone. Do you know what I mean by that? And it starts, we played this in elementary school, and you, the first person says, by the time it gets to the last person, it is so corrupted and different that where in the world did it go wrong? And this is in one room in the space of 10 minutes, and so imagine what happens in the space of a 1,000 miles or 2,000 years, uh, departure from where this thing originally started. And this is why, the, to me, the whole idea of going back to the Bible has so much appeal. Uh, this is what we're supposed to be grounded in, and it tells us when we've gone too far astray. This is the true gospel. I think that um, uh, the book of Romans, if you... I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm among friends, right? If you had to pick a book that has the, that has the true gospel in it, if you had to pick one book of the Bible, if they insisted on taking the other books away from you, this is the one that I would take, and if they let me have two, I would take Hebrews. Um, whoops, there's no gospels in there. And then I would take John. <laughs> okay, so we get three wishes. I have um, John, Romans, and uh, the book of Hebrews. And, oh, yes, what about, uh, yes, Isaiah? <laughs> Habakkuk? Habakkuk? <laughs> I love Habakkuk. There's a lot of books that I like. This is why I'm glad that, uh, I guess this has never happened. But the book of Romans is a wonderful exposition of the true gospel so that people whom he cannot talk to, who cannot ask him questions directly, he anticipates, by the help of the Holy Spirit, everything that the people in Rome need to know in order to keep the gospel going and to keep it passed, you know, pass it on to other people. 
and to live their lives for Christ in a place where, of course, we know persecution uh, was on the way and where we also are dealing with a person who rules over Rome and the empire of Rome who considered himself a god and had to be worshipped. The true gospel was important because the temptation to go away from it was very great. The key thread in Romans is differences in the church, the strong versus the weak. Um, the problem with differences is that they too often sort of morph into right versus wrong, truth versus fiction. Sometimes they're just different. Sometimes the differences don't necessarily mean that somebody has gone astray. It just it doesn't have to mean that. Um, one of the things that we'll uh, be covering shortly is uh, deals with Paul as he talks about what happens. Some, you, know, you remember the uh, scripture, some people eat meat, some people eat vegetables, some people, you know, there's, there's, uh, he doesn't condemn anybody. He's, they've not, they weren't important to him, but for their sake, to keep a neighbor from stumbling. He would modify his behavior as a, as a person who was strong in the faith to make sure that his behavior did not harm the faith journey of somebody who just hadn't come as far as yet and was still holding on to some things that gave them comfort. And for all of this, Jesus Christ is our model. Um, there are a lot of people out there who are speaking a lot of truth, a lot of them. I happen to like A.W. Tozer myself. There are others. And there's a temptation sometimes to put emphasis. And I had a person tell me this, because he heard me quote A.W. Tozer just one time too many. And he said, um, I just want to hear you mention Jesus more. Uh, what does he say? Uh, I know that Tozer's a pretty smart guy, and his, uh, his grasp of the gospel seemed to be pretty good. But at the same time, let's not turn our attention away from any uh, uh, from Christ too much and focus on any particular individual, Jesus Christ is our model for everything. Romans 15, 1 through 13. I like it, you know, um, it's all a matter of style. I like when we all read it together. Is that, it just occurred to me, is that all right? <laughs> That's another assumption I make where I just assume everybody's on the same wavelength. I just pitch right in. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures, and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people, 
And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow. And who has their Bible open? To read the end of verse 13. With hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This happens to me every time I preach. <laughs> it always looks so good on the computer. Who are the strong? Paul refers to we who are strong. He's referring to the spiritually mature, but one of the things to keep in mind is that in his letter, uh, he is writing to us, he's writing to a lot of people that he never knew, but this particular letter was addressed to the church at Rome where there was a difference of opinion and approach between the Jews who had become Christians and the Gentiles who had become Christians, as the Jews were uh, busy uh, trying to continue with their, their uh, procedures, with their uh, uh, customs, with their means of worship. Um, and then we have the Gentiles who never knew any of those things, who come straight to Christ without going through the, uh, the uh, path that the Jews took. And so these two are blended together in the same place. Um, elsewhere we read... Uh, Paul's attitude towards the, uh, the Jews who would take the Christian church, the Christian faith, back to Judaism. In the book of Galatians, if you've ever read the book of Galatians, he comes out of the gate saying to them, you know, who has bewitched you? Who is doing that? He was, by this time with the Galatians, he was mad. And his letter has a tone of anger and um, uh, sternness as he says, okay, basically you can almost hear him say to, to the person as he's writing it down, I put up with this long enough. Uh, I understand that at some point some of these things, you know, that these are important to people, that we, have to, that we have to allow for the fact that they came up through their faith in a particular way, but these things have to be let go of because they have been fulfilled in the Christ, in the Messiah, and we now worship differently. We do not have to do all of these things. We have been freed from the law, as we have been told also, that no one is saved through the law because um, uh, there's no righteousness can be attained through that and nobody can be saved except through Christ, lest any man should boast. So he's dealing specifically with two groups in the church who have different opinions and different approaches. Um, they have to be reconciled in some fashion, So, because if you don't, sooner or later, they tear each other apart. One of the things um, in history that we can see what happens when you have two different factions, um, we can see it actually in the, early, uh, in the early church, because the early church started meeting in the synagogues. It was, after all, a Jewish Messiah who came uh, uh, as the Messiah. And so in the synagogue, this is, was taught before it went out to the Gentiles in the book of Acts, the, um, the differences between the Jews who would follow Christ and those who would not eventually became so acute that they had to split. Um, I came from the tradition of the United Methodist Church, which many, many uh, you may know came out of the Episcopal Church. Uh, it started in England through John Wesley, who was an Episcopal. He remained an Episcopal all of his life. He didn't mean to start a new denomination, but as they met inside the Episcopal Church, eventually the differences between the two of them became so great that they split apart, and they started a new denomination. And Wesley was okay with that. He appointed bishops and a number of other people to, to take care of that, especially in the, in the United States. The idea of the church in Rome that... Paul wanted to make, the, the point that he wanted to make was he was aiming for unity. 
He wanted us to be together. He was very in, um, interested, very devoted to the fact that we are the body of Christ. We've been emphasizing the body of Christ for a number of weeks now. We are one body under one head, under one Christ, under one Lord, with one gospel. There are rooms for, uh, for some divisions, but there are a place where you cross the line where you now have begun preaching a false gospel. We have to keep on that, the right side of that line. But within that, we have to forbear each other as long as we understand we are one body and we cannot let the differences between us, especially if, if they're not uh, essential to the Christian faith, we can't let the differences between us tear us apart. The world loves to point the church as a fractured, fragmented, ineffectual body that has lost sight of a Jesus that they don't even understand. They only know enough about him is that if he was teaching the truth, his own people at least should seem unified, and we don't. Uh, they point to the different denominations, which doesn't really concern me quite as much as because uh, there are false gospels within every denomination, and there and I've I've uh, come to believe that Jesus has basically salted Christians in just about every church there is. So no matter how far a church has gone astray, there's always that faithful remnant, those who have never bent the knee, they're in practically every church in there somewhere doing yeoman duty, trying to make sure that the true, the true gospel is being preached. Those differences really mattered to Paul, and he wanted to make sure that they didn't tear us apart, that we remained unified so that we could be effective as a church. Use the strength of those who are strong. Use your strength. Rely upon your strength by the power of the Holy Spirit to serve and to support, to encourage and uplift not to dominate and browbeat. With strength comes responsibility following the model of Christ. How did Christ deal with people who came to him seeking him? Whatever their background was, he welcomed them. Seek and ye shall find. If you were interested in Jesus, if you were seeking Jesus, he took you in. Who are the weak? The Mother's Milk Christians, people who are still learning, people who, are, who just barely understand the, the very rudiments of the faith, are still on a journey. They're, they're referred to by Paul as weak, but one of the things about the word weak is it tends to make us think of, of their being inferior, that they're being worse. They're not. That's all the farther they've gotten. Uh, they're on a journey just as we were. We were Mother's Milk Christians at one time. Um, we, uh, who have come farther in the faith... Through no, uh, with no um, patting of ourselves on the back, by the way, um, we are then charged with the responsibility to look after those who are new. Many of the weak rely upon, they have this emphasis on legalistic details or traditions. When I was in a, a kid in the Methodist church, I was taught that you never stack the Bible, you never stack another, another book on top of it. That kind of thing. Did you ever hear that kind of stuff? You never put the Bible on the floor. Uh, you never put another book on top. There are things like that that you were not supposed to do. Um, there were a number of kinds of things that got, and you know, that kind of attitude can mushroom to the point where you're practically like overwhelmed with little minutia, things that could possibly be wrong, things that could possibly make God angry with you because you're showing disrespect or disregard for what he's trying to tell us. It's not like that. Uh, but those, some of those traditions um, tend to overwhelm, and in fact, some of them tend to dominate in various bodies as they take on a life of their own and people look past Jesus to these traditions that they hold so dear. There have been traditions that I love um, because they gave me comfort. 
They weren't especially good for spreading the gospel. They weren't especially good for making me a stronger Christian. I just happened to like them. And uh, it took time to realize that's not reason enough to keep them. Uh, not if they're interfering with the gospel, not if they're interfering with my understanding of Jesus, and certainly not if uh, they're interfering with my ability to serve him and to go out into the world and speak to him about him. Um, the weak are still called to love and to welcome, too. Assuming a person recognizes themselves as being one of the weak, it sounds so insulting that we almost... Uh, isn't there another word we can use for this? Can we use novice? Can we use beginner? Can we use newbie? Can we use something besides of the weak? Because it, does, it sounds so, well, it sounds so weak. Uh, we've just joined ourselves to Jesus Christ, who is, uh, who is strong and mighty, the, the Lord of everything. We've just been grafted onto the vine, and now to consider ourselves as weak, well, we're all weak in some way. Some are more mature than others, but we all have our feet of clay. Um, we all have our weaknesses, and which is one reason that the body of Christ is so important in the first place is because between us, among us, all of those things can be smoothed out and dealt with by somebody who happens not to be weak in the same area that I am. My weakness is that I lapse into the insistence sometimes, and I know better, but I lapse into the insistence sometimes that God just owes me more than he's giving me. I want, I, Lord, now, we know better than this, right? I've, I work hard to please you. I do all these things. I read a verse a day. I do a, a, a verse. Yeah, that's probably what it's down to. No, a chapter a day. Um, I pray every day. I do this. I, you know, and I catch my, and every once in a while he'll speak. No, you're getting legalistic here, and you're also getting into something which we'll, we can talk about another time called retributive justice. Which is a which is a concept that uh, theologians love to discuss. Is that not so? <laughs> we love to talk about that. Um, they have something to teach. They are members of the body. They are gifted. When you become a Christian, um, you don't come in without the gifts. The gifts the Lord has given you, you had to begin with, and you just develop them over time. You've been using your gifts for other things until you come to Jesus and begin to and you surrender them to Him. Now you're using your gifts for His sake, but you are gifted even if you've been a Christian for one hour. And uh, we need to acknowledge oftentimes when we're dealing with that that the gifts, the gifts don't come later. Uh, you have them to begin with, and they're just developed. And they are not inferior. And again, uh, understanding that each of us has their own weaknesses, we recognize oftentimes that at times when we are honest and times when we feel especially close to God, we recognize the difference between him and us and just how much greater he is than us and how small we are, and how prone we are to sin. One of the, the uh, old hymns, I remember the, um, the line is, take away our bent to sinning. We don't use the word bent that way anymore, but do you understand what that means? Our inclination is the sinning. We come in understanding, this is who we are, this is our nature, this is the way we approach life. And we find ourselves, just like Paul, all day long, I do the things I'm not supposed to do, I can't stop myself. These are something I'm supposed to do, I can't make myself. Who is going to deliver me from this death? What is it to bear with the weak? If you're strong, and this is a time for candor, um, because it can sound like boasting if we're not careful. Um, strong doesn't mean superior. If weak doesn't mean inferior, strong doesn't mean superior. We have 
been a part of the body of Christ for a certain amount of time. The Lord has worked with each of us in his own way for that amount of time. We have surrendered to some extent, then oftentimes reclaimed it in some measure before we realize that that's not working and we let it go again and let the Lord have it back. That I consider that theft, by the way. When we give something to the Lord and it belongs to him, the only way to get it back is to steal it. He doesn't give us our sins back. He doesn't give us, he doesn't rescind his forgiveness. When we want that back, we have to, we have to sort of wrench it out of his hands and say, I'm going to live my life this way. I'm going back to the way I used to be. I'm going to do this again. I miss it before we realize again, it's time to repent and to atone one more time and go back to him and say, okay, I was wrong. I give it back to you. So we all have our, we all do have our weaknesses, but we also, let's be honest with ourselves. In the course of our time with Christ, we have learned a lot. We do have a lot to offer. We do have some attributes that the Lord can use. We don't boast about them, but it's not right not to acknowledge them. If Jesus has done this in our lives, we do want to acknowledge it. We do want to understand that he's done these things for us. We don't want to minimize what he's done for us by, try, by any kind of modesty or false modesty. If he has done these things and he has an expectation of their being used for something, we are being prepared, we are being equipped, and he has changed us in ways that make us useful to him. What it is to bear with the weak is to be patient and understanding and perceptive and loving and loving and loving and then more loving and appreciative and grateful. The Lord brought these people to us. The Lord has, has assembled this group. The Lord has amassed a group that he likes, that he wants to be together at a particular time. He knew I was going to meet this person back when uh, Christopher Columbus was still thinking of names for his boats. Now is the time to act upon what he has done for us. It feels like, what it should feel like, is an opportunity, an exc excitement, a thrill. Lord, have you entrusted me with this? A person's faith journey is terribly important. You are very much concerned about that person's soul. You went to the cross for this person, whose attributes I may or may not appreciate. But you have given me the opportunity and the call to love them and to work with them and share with them what I have. A question I find myself asking the Lord all the time, is it I? I hear the Lord saying many things about the, about what he sees and what he's looking for and what he expects, uh, what he likes and what he doesn't like, what he um, uh, is asking for us. And I find myself saying, is it I? Um, am I one of the ones who is hurting the effort of the church? Am I one of the ones who is a hindrance to somebody's faith journey? Am I one of the ones who is, whose judgment upon somebody has caused them to think to themselves, I don't know that this is the church for me. In practice, we do all have our weaknesses, and of course we all persist in um, unchristian activity, which we're trying to stop. One of the things that uh, Paul reminds us of, if this grieves us, we're on the right track. We can't stop sinning. We, we know that. We've, we've tried, right? I sin today. The day's hardly half over. But if it grieves us, if it hurts us, if it wounds us, because we're hurting the Lord, because we're displeasing the Lord, 
we're on the right track. This is what the Lord is, is, is uh, looking for from us. So, one of the things that are, I think is part of our ongoing repentance, I, this might be an area where I, I don't know whether my theology is right or not. And I, know, I understand in a, in a group like this, if it's not, I will know it shortly. <laughs> and it will be okay. <laughs> I think oftentimes of repentance, and I, I, I intellectually think of repentance as a one-shot deal. I was walking this way, and I turned, and now I'm walking this way. This is the way of Christ. This is the way of the cross. I was walking that way. I have begun to think of repentance, rightly or wrongly, as something that happens over and over again because I catch myself doing things which I know I have not given up that I should have. I catch myself returning to behaviors like a dog returns to his vomit that I should have given up a long time ago. What are these things? That's one of my favorite scriptures, isn't it? <laughs> Ah, how graphic. Um, um, what are my weaknesses, Lord? What am I doing? What am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong that I think is right? What am I doing wrong that I think is harmless? Where have I embraced the world instead of understanding that that love for the world, friendship with the world, is enmity towards God? Where have I done this? Show these things to me. Ident identify them for me. Open my eyes to them. I will own them, I will confess them, I will take them to you and seek your forgiveness, and I will give them up. I found out there are a lot of things that, um, that I didn't think were terribly offensive to God, or even mattered to God, that I found out are. There also are other areas, and I've mentioned this a number of times, where... There are sins that I just, I can't stop. I can't stop overeating. I can't. I'm going to someday, I guess, <laughs> if only because I won't be here anymore. But I'm going to, you know, um, I can't. I'm at, you know, it's funny, not to turn this into like the big confessional, but the, um, uh, it's, it, eating used to be like a real comfort. The whole idea of comfort food, eating was is com was comforting. I don't even enjoy it anymore. Maybe that's a step in the right direction. Now when I do it, I actually hate doing it, and I still can't stop it. But I figure that's better than liking it. So keep going, God. I'm with you. Um, weakness is tolerated by the strong of, in the church, but not elevated and not glorified. There is, um, there are things in the church, there are activities in the church, there, there are attitudes that certain people have, the weak have, each of us has, that eventually we'll, we, we will want to give up, but we don't extol them. We, uh, we tolerate them and understand, okay, this is where this person is, we're, we're moving forward, we're going uh, along the way of the cross, but we don't, um, we don't elevate them and, and extol them. The goal is to become strong to prepare for working with the next batch of the week who the Lord is always going to be bringing in. There are people out there right now who will be here next week for the first time. Uh, they weren't ready this week. The Lord's working with them in a particular way. Uh, they have uh, either, they are either lost, they're either, they've been hurt, um, they've been discouraged, they've, they, well, something has happened to them that has just 
driven them a wedge between them and Christ or them and one of Christ's church, and they say, I cannot, I cannot end the search. I am not ready to give up altogether. There is a church somewhere that I want to go to where I can, where I can encounter the living God for people who worship him with all their hearts, who put him first, who make him Lord, and who give their lives to him ongoingly. I'm looking for that place. When they come here, we need to be ready for them, to embrace them, to love them, to care for them, to understand what they're going through. They have been through something that has set them back, and they're ready to, they said, okay, I've gone back as far as I can go, I'm ready to go forward. To be strong is to be ready to, uh, to engage these folks, and of course, in our own weaknesses, to be engaged by. I want to confess something here again. Um, Bill, I love you. The, 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 I went through a seminar years ago where a person who was not godly used sort of, it, it was sort it was, um, it was similar to the, what men in Christ is doing. Um, I'm hearing these words spoken by a godly man in a godly way for the first time. Because I've only heard them spoken about somebody who was underhanded, who was looking at an agenda, who was leading me astray, and I knew it. You know what? Do you know what I'm getting at? Because you know who your counterparts are. It's hard for me to listen to you sometimes. Because I hear echoes of this manipulative junk that was trying to get me to behave in a particular way. But you, I know, are a man of Christ. So I just, I just persist and say, stick with it. There, there are words that just, they just, they, they go through me like a nail. But they're coming from a man of God. Don't give up. It's hard sometimes to surrender and to give yourself up in your weakness to somebody who is stronger and say, he knows where he's going. I trust that Bill knows where he's going. I know he's taking me to the right place. I don't see it, but I'm going to go, but I trust him because I know that this is a man of God. That's, that, that's the, that's the attitude I think the weak, weak, this helps the weak to move forward. So acknowledging that I was weak was not easy. Persisting was not easy. But the, um, the alternative is to tell God no, which I don't want to do. Now, the last thing about this is, this happens a, a lot with Christians, I believe. Maybe I'm just seeing what I want to see. In our lives, we get caught up in our own activities. Of course we do. I'm worried about things Monday that I didn't finish on Friday, and I know when I go in on Monday morning, it's, going to, it's got, you know, it's, it's late already. Um, there are things that we have to deal with, things that, are, that uh, confront us, things that are um, uh, our responsibilities. And it's easy to get caught up with that. And in our prayers, uh, would you be willing to, to say what percentage of your prayers are based on what God can do for you? If you pray for an hour, what percentage, how many minutes are, Lord, I need this, I need this, I want that, please do this for me, please help, you know. With me, it's probably 50 minutes an hour. And I catch myself doing that. It's, it's sort of natural. One of the things about God's overarching plan is we forget what we're a part of. We live in a creation that is, exists because Jesus, and by his power, is holding it together. Do you remember that? In everything, everything lives and moves and has its being. In Jesus, in Christ, he holds everything together. If Jesus withdrew his hand from creation, it would disintegrate. 
We live in a creation where Jesus the Christ is actually the one holding it together. It is not going on of its own momentum. It is not going on like the old uh, deists used to believe where the, the, the Lord created uh, the world like he created a clock and he wound it up and it just goes until it runs out of gas. He's holding it together. He has a plan. Creation and the church and humankind are heading somewhere that God knows where it is. And the more we can understand that, as Paul is mentioning here, the better off we are, because we want to be full gospel Christians. We don't want to be Christians who say, this part of the gospel just simply does not resonate with me. Uh, I don't. This part is too far over my head. Um, I'm too involved in this and that. We have to remember for all of the important, and God, and God doesn't minimize the importance. He says he knows we need these things. He understands this. He does. But not at the expense of remembering. God's up to very big things. His plan is mammoth, and we cannot grasp it, and we have been called and made a part of it. And to the extent that we can remember that, all the uh, tasks that come up, become, uh, they just take on a whole different, um, you just get a whole different attitude towards them. We have to bear with one another, fitting this into the big picture, which scripture reminds us of. Um, I love, G I love the red letters, okay? I love what Jesus says, but how often do I forget personally where he starts talking about who we're supposed to pray for when that day comes? Pray for these people. Remember, there will be two in a field. One will be taken and one will be left. There will be two, uh, you know, pray that the uh, women, you know, the women are not pregnant when this happens. It's going to be an, uh, he tells us to pray for these people and for that day. I haven't done it for, I haven't done that for probably two years. Just, but I can't, I can't persist in this. The big picture, everything that we do fits into the big picture. God's plan, looking at God's plan as much as we look to our own needs and wants, God's will versus our own. God's will becoming our own and glorifying God and not ourselves. God-centered and not human-centered. And I think God's plan is evidenced by the arrival of new believers. He's not finished. We're still going forward. He's still, he's still working within us, but he's not finished. Somebody is coming to the Lord today. Wrapping up, what Paul wants us to understand in dealing this, between the strong and the weak is distinguishing between the things that matter and that don't. Keeping an eye on Christ, and Paul says the Christ, he says that a, a number of times, and not ourselves. We matter and Jesus loves us, but we are a part of something much larger. And it makes a difference how we approach Jesus when we realize he's not just here to get us through another day. He's here to make us part of something that's really huge that is going to make a difference in the lives of many, many people uh, to, the, to the glory of God, who wants not, not any should be lost. Working towards the day when all come to Christ while keeping the whole gospel in mind. And the idea, again, in the book of Romans, first, last, and always, is a unified church is effective in its task. The unity of the body, uh, not two and three parallel bodies, one body, each with a member, working under one Lord. Um, we have, we're a part of something huge. We have a big, we have a big job to do. And the more we can understand that we have a big job to do, as I've, as I've put it, and, I've, and, and Steve, bless his heart, has said this, we're, we're after big game. Um, the church was created for an enormous purpose. 
an, an enormous task which only can be accomplished through Jesus Christ, that he has um, uh, made us a part of, which is a, a tremendous honor. And a little intimidating, but after all, we're more than conquerors, right? If God can be for us, if Jesus is for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors. We're, don't ever, ever forget that. The body of Christ consists of people who are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's New Hope podcast. Chapel. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.